Hello everyone, my name is Tyler Hendricks. I'm just a guy who goes to church. Every other Thursday, we come together for what we call Secret Church. While there, we adopt a country and talk about what life is like for the believers there. After this, I speak of the spiritual matter that we can relate to from that country. All right, so today's message is called Coming Home. Well, we have a, a homecoming for the Templins. Steve and Marcia, welcome back. Thank you for what you do. Yes. I mean, I so I when I heard Steve and Marsha were finally coming back, I was like happy, and but then they kept getting delayed or this and that and this and that, and in my heart, I just kept trying to um, not get too excited, right? So I was trying to like temper my excitement because I knew they were going to come home exactly when God wanted them to be here. Not when they thought they were going to be yeah, here. That's, that's so my prayer was, God, get them home when you want them home. And obviously he did. You're here. You're safe. You're not sick. You can come and love. And I am no longer the worst singer in the group, which is fantastic. Oh, Marshall's back. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a burden off my chest. Um, yeah. So... This is a coming home party for the Templins, but we're also going to talk about the coming home of believers. Amen. We talk a lot about persecution and death and suffering and everything else, and sometimes I just want to hear the good news. I want to hear why are we doing all of these things that we do. So first and foremost, for everybody to be on the same page, I want to start everyone fresh. Pretend like you don't know anything about religious persecution, but we are believers. So how would anybody define religious persecution? I have the dictionary version here, but how would you guys define religious persecution? That was a mumble. Hmm? You don't? Okay. <laughs> religious persecution is the systematic treatment of an individual or a group of individuals as a response to the religious beliefs, affiliations, or lack thereof. So a systematic mistreatment, we've been talking about a, a lot of systematic mistreatment here recently in America, but this is not something new. The practice of a systematic mistreatment has been going on since you know they left the garden. But today we're studying religious persecution, so you guys can remember things now. But what are different types of persecutions that we see in the world? What, what are types of religious persecutions? Like, what does that look like, smell like, feel like? Beating. You know, beating, okay. Shunning. Shunning. Not hired for a job. Yeah, refusal of, of a, a job opportunity. Getting the worst jobs. Getting the worst jobs. Yeah. Like refusing people's like to shop at your store, or is that what you're saying? Yeah. Refusing education. That's one I didn't even have down here. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Micah. What are types of religious persecutions? Assumptions. Assumptions about how, like, what they believe and how they act. Is that what you're saying? No, what they might do. What they might do. Okay. Good. Where you can live. Murder. Killed, yes. Not allowing, uh, not allowing 
literature, Bible, yeah, not allowing their literature, Bible, imprisonment, imprisonment. Yeah. So what the ones that I have written down here are social distancing, like isolation. Um, so, I mean, I know this might not be a religious thing, but when you're talking about when the pygmies in Congo, they lived in the forest and these other people lived out here. And they were like, okay, that's great. You live over here, but when I need something from you, this is my pygmy slave, but I want you people to stay over there. You know what I'm saying? That might not be a religious persecution, but we see that for Christians. You're not allowed in the city. You have to go live in the fields where the sheep are. You have to go live out on the outskirts. Another one is like refusing of services. When I when I thought of like refusing of a service, I think of like a government saying, no, you can't be here. Do you guys remember in India how we heard about that church who applied for years and years and years and got all the permits and all these things to open a church? And then he's like, you know what? I quit. I give up. I'm done doing your rules. And they had church. And what happened? They had church illegally. And they came in and destroyed all of their stuff. The next would be reducing their rights. So making them a lower class citizen. You know, Jasmine was talking about how there's different classes in these countries. So if even if there's four classes of Muslim people, Christians is always going to be number five. Christians are always going to be at the lowest in these situations. So destruction and confiscation of property. Like that India video, they, they, you know, they were systematically, they were refused service from their government, even though they had all the proper documentations. Even though the government says, we allow religious freedom, but they hinder every single step. And then if you're like, you know what, I'm not playing your games anymore, they're going to come through and destruct, confiscate. When I was in Chad, the thing that really stuck out to me is we saw one Christian church and was blown up. There was giant holes and bullet holes all over that place. An IED hit the side of it, and I saw a giant church with a big old cross and a hole in the side of it. That looks like destruction and confiscation of property. So then we have arrests. So, you know, I might not even be out evangelizing or proselytizing, but I'm a believer. I have a Christian necklace or something like that. People will get arrested and be put in prison. What was that, uh, the pastor that we were praying for for a long time who was in prison? Do you remember that, Steve? I remember you talked about Yeah, but the other guy, too, just came out of Turkey. Right, the Turkish guy, yes. So he got arrested for speaking the gospel. The next one is beating. Now, beatings are basically everywhere for religious persecution. We've seen people dragged through the streets and beaten with sticks and chased out and get stoned. Another one is just torture. I think it's one thing to get beat. I can get hit with a stick a couple times, but it's another thing to deprive me of food. To, I mean, we've we've read those read those stories about the people in was it China or something where they, the the guards were using the Bible as toilet paper and they would make them clean the toilets. And if you're cleaning raw like sewage like that, you're going to get sick and you're getting deprived of water and and all these other foods. That's just torture. The next is systematic, straight-up murder. You are going to get your head chopped off. And that happens more times than we would like to believe. That happened to, what, almost all of the disciples of Jesus except one? Peter? No. John. John. 
that's been happening forever. People have been boiled alive, their head chopped off, they're getting fed to the lions, they're getting stoned to death. And one thing that we never think about or actively think about, and this one kind of hit me broadside, is a cleansing. You guys know what that means? So, like, it's a genocide, but not of a generation, but of a religious group. So we see the Holocaust. We see the purge of how many times has, has Jerusalem been purged by the Muslims to the, to the Jews, and then the Jews back and back and forth and back and forth. They've been fighting over that place and trying to kill everybody. Is a religious genocide of cleansing their nation to have it how they want it to be. Jasmine? Yes. So when we see cleansing, I'm not saying that it is exclusively Muslim to Christian. We see the Jews, well, God told them to cleanse that area before they went into it. Joshua and, and all these people, go and kill Ammon, go and destroy all of Jericho, go and do this and do that. They were told to do that. Was that religious persecution? Eh, probably. But they were told by God to do it. Oh. What happens after death for a believer? So if I'm a, if I'm a persecuted Christian and I end up getting my head chopped off, thrown to the lions or, or whatever it may be, what happens? Or what if I'm 85 and I just die of a heart attack? But I'm a believer. What happens to us Christians after death? Eternal life with the Lord, right? Be with God. Get in perishable bodies. So the first one is we will not get judged like the rest of humanity. In the book of Revelation, it talks about how... There's the first death, and there's a second death, but then there's a first birth and second rebirth, where during the thousand-year reign, the Christians will you know, rise again. They will get a new body, but the dead will still stay dead. So when we have the great throne judgment or the white throne judgment, we will have – everyone will be resurrected, right? But we will not be judged like they were judged. They will see – when God judges us, he will see the blood on the cross, John 5, 24 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So that's the first thing that happens to a believer after death. We are no longer held by the change of sin. I have moved from an eternal death to an eternal life to being judged versus being covered in the blood of Jesus. Next, I heard it was said, is we get a glorified body. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means a body perfected in God. We are no longer, you know, confound to gout or arthritis or age or all these other bad eyesight, everything else. We are have a glorified body where we can stand in the presence of God and not drop dead. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
and we eager, eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be made like his glorious body. No more pain, no more suffering. There will be peace and love. And one good thing, one things that I think our glorified body will have that we don't is we won't have the inability to fully understand. So right now, let's say if my mom died, I would not have a full capacitance to understand why she had to do that. But I believe when I'm in heaven, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. So I think up there, I will have the understanding and the peace that God gives, even if I see someone in my family die that I don't think is going to heaven. Or like, because we, we've all had family members like that, and we're like, I don't know, God, but I don't think so. And I think in heaven, you are not going to be mournful, and you're not going to be sad, you're not going to be torn up about it. You will have that understanding and peace. Now, next is the big one, is when we die, we go to be with the Father and enter his throne room. <laughs> John 14, 1 says, Let no hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place before you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to it myself that where I am, you also may be. So after death, and if we are a believer, God, you know, we are going to be taken up by God, or by Jesus. Same thing. And we, he has rooms awaiting for us, the rooms that once we die, we get to go experience, we get to go be in. Ecclesiastes 12.7 reads, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now that verse ties in to two parts of the things that happens as humans die. Because if a human dies, there's two options, right? You are with God or you're not, right? So when he says your spirit returns that means it is returning for either an embrace or a judgment. As a believer, we when when our spirit when we die, our spirit returns to the Father with an embrace, with Him saying, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." With Him saying, "Come into my house. Look at this room that I have prepared for you." And we get to sit at His feet and worship. For those who haven't, well, they have to wait and return for the white throne judgment to be judged for the actions that they have given because they are not covered in the blood. Now, I don't know. I've heard this my whole life, and I've never really looked for Scripture on it. But how many of you church people go on your whole life thinking, oh, when we get to heaven, or when I walk through the gates, there's going to be a big old party? Have you guys heard that? Is that just like a me thing, right? Right. Okay. Well, that's post Jesus return. Party of hell. Doesn't Scripture say that there will be 
So that's where I was going to go. So Luke 15, 10. Someone want to read that? Because I definitely did not write it down. Luke 15, 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yeah. Okay, so that is that's one. Different, that's different from no, yeah, that's, why that's why he's still in heaven. That's not the same as you're talking about. Right. So then I was like, okay, because that was the first one that I went to, and I was like, right. well, he's on earth. Like, where am I? Where am I going? So then I, I went down a little bit in Luke 15, and I had Luke 15, 22 through 24. So want to read that again for me? The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for his son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and he began to celebrate. So, I mean, there's two interpretations of that. You could interpret that as once we're on earth, or while we're on earth, and we, when we move from death into life, there will be a celebration in heaven. I really think that's what Luke 15.10 says. But this is more of a son returning home, right? It's a prodigal. It's a prodigal. So, as a believer, and, and I have moved from death to life, and I return home, because... We read earlier that I'm a citizen of heaven, first and foremost. So when I return home, I think there's going to be a celebration. right? So we see these persecuted Christians, and their life is so bleak and terrible from our point of view. And even if they do get the axe, or they do get the stone, or the lion, or the whatever, there's still going to be celebration for them when they get to heaven. Well, there is, Marshall was saying, there is the wedding feast. That, that is in the book of Revelation. I, I believe. So, I watched the Sydney Robertson video. I love Sydney Robertson. And she did this video on celebrating during the wait. I think that really fits with what we're talking about is how even though these Christian, these persecuted Christians are waiting and to get to heaven and um, being persecuted and going through all these trials and tribulations, they still need to celebrate during that wait. And it's not, it doesn't end just because you're being persecuted. Your celebration should continue in that. Uh, these two verses, Luke 15.10 and Luke 15.22-24, these verses speak about the lost becoming found. There is joy when a sinner repents. Now imagine the rejoicing when that sinner walks into heaven. In the story of the parable son, we see a son who returns, and they had a great feast made for him. I will also translate. Now when Jesus returns to get his faithful, there will be a great feast in heaven. When the rapture, or when God comes calling home, or when we see Zion again, whatever you call it, there will be a great feast. And that's when Jesus was talking about doing communion. He says, I will not drink of this cup until I come again. 
That is the party of the body of Christ. That is that big hoopla, big celebration. Now, this is something that the next part here is something that I've heard not that often in church circles. Um, this is something, I don't know if it's abstract or what, but it's it's the crowns given to people, the crowns given to yes. believers. Yeah. Right. So does anybody, can, does anybody remember those five crowns? I, I, I mean, I heard this a long time ago at, at Fifth Avenue, Church of Christ. And I don't know that this is something that's talked about now. Pardon? All right. I will. There are five crowns either given or represented in Yahweh's children. Number one is the crown of victory, or also known as the incorruptible crown. This is in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. First Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or a crown, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not want box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified." So this talks about when athletes, when they train, when they do the athletic things, go to the gym, run, shoot basketball hoops, hit the baseball, do all these things. They do all these things for a perishable trophy, for a crown. Now, I think the crown was used a lot, especially when they said the wreath, because it was a Greek thing, right? That's what they had. They had wreaths as a crown. So that's the first one. That is considered... The crown of victory or incorruptible crown. This is self-discipline. This is rejecting our sinful nature and keeping onto the path the rules and the regulations and the, the life that God has given to us. The crown of victory is given to those who commit to self-discipline. Next, there is the crown of rejoicing. This is uh, talked about in two different places, 1 Thessalonians 2.19 and in Philippians 4.1. Does someone want to read 1 Thessalonians 2.19 for me? 2.19 here. It says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Well, my, it's interesting because mine doesn't read crown of just joy. I mean, it talks about it. it. Just says, "But what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which more crown of rejoicing, or the crown in which we will glory?" 
and the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Okay, the next one's Philippians 4.1. Someone have that one? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So the, the crown of rejoicing... The crown of rejoicing is for the uh, the soul winners. It's for the evangelists. It's for the now in Philippians four one he calls those people his brothers and sisters like a crown for him, right? So the crown of rejoicing. I don't know if it's as much as a crown that we get as we walk into heaven, or it could be our brothers, our sisters, as I. As we see Steve and Marcia going out and evangelizing, you guys are like a crown on onto us. We can, you're a gift or a, a a mantelpiece or something that's so wonderful. We can rejoice because we see you taking those steps. No, I don't think it is. Yeah. Right. Right, because he's just calling them that. My brothers and sisters, my joy and crown. No, I'm with you on that. I, I, yeah. When I was going through these, because I've always, I don't know if this is a church thing, and that's that's one thing I wanted to go through. As I wanted to go through these five crowns and talk about. Can I just say one thing? Because maybe I'm, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because you may be talking about it. But as we talk about this crown, you know, the purposes of the crown, having these crowns, they are for us. Correct. Okay, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So the next crown that they talk about is the crown of righteousness. Um, that's 2 Timothy 4.8. Does someone have it? Yes, it says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So then the, the crown of righteousness is those who are loving and seeking God's return, staying faithful to his commands next is the crown of glory this is commonly called as the pastor's crown or the shepherd's crown um, those who humbly serve and shepherd God's people that's found in 1 Peter 5 4 and that reads and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive an unfading crown of glory he's talking about the people who go out and who shepherd the sheep who fight off the enemy and who attack. Do you want to read that, Steve, up there? Where? First uh, Peter 5, I think it starts in 1 or 2, yeah. okay. down to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be 
not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So that's why it's called the, the pastor's crown or the, the shepherd's crown or the crown of glory. Now the last crown we're going to talk about is James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. So I got 112 and 210. You got 112 Sunday? Yep. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In Revelation 210. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So this is talking about enduring through persecution, enduring through suffering, and enduring through 210, yeah. And uh, enduring temptations, pain, imprisonment, and while not putting the blame on Yahweh, this is commonly referred to as the martyr's crown, right? Even unto death, I will follow you. That is considered the crown of life. So these are the, what church people say, the five crowns. Um, now, I've, I had mixed feelings about it when I was doing this, but... I think this is important to talk about is because we see this in other people and we see this in other doctrine. And I would also like to have, you see a lot of this in prosperity gospel. I think a lot of this, when I get to heaven, I will be rewarded over and over and over again. When like you were saying, every King will throw his, what's that verse? The, the, your crowns before the throne. Yeah. Right. So all of these things are not to glorify us or not to think we are the greatest thing ever. It's not. These are to be thrown at the feet of the king, to be thrown there saying, yes, I did these, but they are yours. They are your accomplishments. How do you feel? Because you're pondering. I always understood it as, like I said, said is they're not for our benefit, meaning they're rewarded to us, but they're not for our benefit. It's for us to be, we want to be in a position, now this sounds like terrible, but I don't want to be up in heaven with Josh, and Josh is sitting there juggling 10 crowns, you know how you do with people in the circus, circus delay, and they're sitting there, and I'm sitting there with one around my finger, going like this. And you know the game at the carney where you throw the little things under the, you know. Well, I don't want Josh sitting there with ten of them. Yeah, I don't want him. But I'm just saying, I'll be in bed. I, I've always thought this that I want to be there to be able to get back to Christ, as a result of Him truly leading me, being a, and me being submissive and leading in my earthly life that I will receive crowns and I can get back to him, not for Steve, but I want to be able to go, Jesus, here, thank you, and, and 
and, and not sit there with one on my finger twirling it, waiting while he throws five, and then I throw my one, and I'm looking at him going, oh my God. And I don't think that will happen. I don't think it will. But the point is, we want to be in a position that we want to be able to give, because this is going to be a glorious thing, to throw these crowns back to him because they represent what he's done in our life. And so that's why it's important. Not I'm not trying to get crowned and hoarded. And, I want to bless him. I want to bless Jesus and God right. and the Holy Spirit with right. giving the crowns back to him. Saying, look what you did in my life. Thank you, God. Not just standing there. You know, we'll be there. But some will have, it says, less crowns than others because of what we've done. Correct. So the reason yeah. we, I mean, okay. I've seen in modern preaching where it's a lot of me thinking. When I get to heaven, it'll be the best thing for me, me, me. I'm not saying we say that. I'm saying an unnamed preacher that Mike no longer likes. But he doesn't? Nope. Nope. Oh my gosh. Six months away and he saw the light. <laughs> <laughs> but we see this in our culture. It's it's uh I wanna do all these I wanna do all these great things for me. So when I get to heaven, I'll have the biggest house and I'll have the most bling and all of this. And no, as these persecuted Christians probably understand a bit persecration. Yes, the, I just can't word. The perspirating persecuted Christians. Say that three times real fast. They understand what we don't. They are not doing it for themselves. They are not. I, well, the reason I wanted to go for all these things is because we see a lot of people where they're like, oh, yes. I mean, you see people's pride kick up because they're like, oh, I'd get that crown. I'd get this crown. I'd, I'd get that. No, all of those <clears throat> are made so, like Steve was saying, we can, again, throw them at God's feet. For me, how I've always interpreted it <clears throat> is God, you know, it's like, okay, Steve, you're the, you get the best student award, right? But then you're like, you know what? You have, you're the best teacher and you give me the best teacher award. Like, yes, I'm giving you something, but in return, you're laying even more praise upon me. So that's how I have viewed these crowns or these these accomplishments that we receive when we're in heaven. It's not for my glory, but it's for me to turn around and again say, no, God, this was all you. This was all of yours. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> you under does everyone understand what I'm saying? Am I wording well enough, Josh? Yeah. I, I guess I'm... Um... I'm, a, I'm thinking through this, and I'm like, so what does this, why, why is this so important for me right now? Why, why is this important for me? How does it change my thought process? Because for me down here right now, why, what, what is important for that? So what, what helps me thinking about this is important? I think this is one of the areas in our life that pride hides the most. For me to say, I want to go out and be a missionary because I know God really likes it when I get to heaven it'll be a reward and I don't know if all, we if people even think about that at the forefront of their mind but what I'm saying is be careful and this is a heart check why are you doing the things you're doing is it because you're going to be rewarded or is it because you want to honor God yeah, and I think it's, it's yeah, I think right. that's, the, that's the key it's terrible to, to say it's terrible to say you're living under grace 
but you do the minimum, and when you get to heaven, your rewards will be minimum. Right. So when I th when I think of all of these things, when I think of I think of the farmer or the the landowner who he said, okay, I want to go out at six a.m. and I want to get five people, and I'm gonna pay you a shekel's wages. I'm gonna go back out at ten o'clock, and then noon, and three, and then five. Then five o'clock, they only have one more hour to to work, and he's like, I'm still gonna give you one shekel. Right. So from our mindset is, yes, I can do the bare minimum one hour and get the same shekel, but it's also how much work we do, I guess is a good way to explain it, is I don't want to do just the bare minimum. Yes, I get the same reward, but I also want to go above and beyond. I used the wrong analogy. I'm thinking of – what am I thinking of? Yes, the coins. There we go. Burying the coins. The talents of silver. Right. But the reason I wanted to go over these is because I wanted to have a heart check. These persecuted Christians, the ones that we're talking about, the ones we see in Yemen, the ones that we see all over the world, um, they do these things for God. They, they do the... They, they are self-disciplined, not for themselves, but for God's glory. They are soul winners. They are evangelists, not for themselves, but for God's glory. They are loving and seeking God's return for his glory. They are shepherding the sheep. They are taking care of others for God's glory. They are enduring the pain, the suffering, the imprisonments, and everything else for God's glory. Now, I'm not saying that we, as City of Life, have an issue with these things, but this is something that I see in church. It's I do this so I get this. It's that transactional Christianity. So when I read about the crowns of glory or that this teaching of these crowns, I just want it to be a heart check. I know I've said that but it should be, why am I doing the things that I am doing? Am I doing it so when I do get there, like Steve, am I going to sit there with my one crown and that's all I can give God? Am I the, the servant who I buried my treasure and I can only give him one? Or am I going to go out with the gifts that God has given me and I can get more in return? I can do more for him. So I can have all of the, the crowns around my fingers and I can – lay it before his feet versus just the one. Josh? Yeah. You were, you're surfing. What yeah, you got? What, what you got brewing? I have too. I, okay. I so, 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 I, so my mind, is, I, I guess, coming home, right? That's what, that's what you're saying. Coming right. home. Uh, when I think about coming home, uh, I think Hey, can I just read a couple scriptures? And I'm just thinking about your your, your crowns thing. As in Matthew uh, Matthew six, and just as Jesus speaking, and he's saying, uh, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, That's right. where moth and rust destroys, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Yeah. So he's telling us that sometimes we can get caught up laying treasures here on earth. And uh, so, so it goes to the motive of what you're talking about. Um, I could be trying to see how many people I get saved down here on earth, so it becomes it makes me look good, right? You know what I mean? So my treasure's here on earth, and, I, and I've received this treasure on earth, and, and, or, or I'm laying up this treasure here. I'm, how many churches can I plant? You know what I mean? It could, it could be for selfish motivations, right? It could be, like, like look at that church I planted over here. Look at that church I planted over here. Look at that church I planted over here. Um, and uh, it could be a good intentions, but man, rust and, but man, am I going to lay up treasure in heaven right. where, uh, where, 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 where that won't um, uh, fade. And then, and, then, and then my mind went also to uh, Colossians. one thing now because I don't know like you guys were saying that like Mr. T's analogy of um going sorry of going oh I wish I had more problems to get into some heaven do you think that I don't know if we're going to be like is it wrong for me to think I could care less how many crowns the person next to me has? I'm just excited to be in be heaven with Jesus. Like, yeah. and that's why I said, like, I don't I understand what you're saying, but I guess I thought the whole casting of crowns is being like, I need this many, I need this many. It's just, I don't I just want to be there with him. Like, I, I, I don't care. Right. I mean, I agree. I, I just want to be there with them. But I don't want to meet the minimum requirements. You know what I'm saying? I, do I want to get an A. If I get to heaven, I'll see Jesus. I'm going to be kind of annoyed. I'll just say that. That's the one thing that, that if it doesn't happen. Now, where is the scripture that says about the cast of the cross? You're the one that said it. I do not know. Yeah, I was on, like, some, no. or Colossians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where is it? So, so the other scripture that I was thinking about uh, is in Colossians three. Uh, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on this earth. And so, uh, when I'm thinking about heaven and I'm thinking about His kingdom, His glory, His thing, I'm going to let treasure there. And my mind's not be focused in here. So I think when I think about heaven and I'm thinking about all this stuff, I want to think in them terms of um, when, I, when heaven is on my mind and I'm going to meet him, then this earth really doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and the earth, these things doesn't really play out too much for me, right? Uh, seeking souls and seeking the lost and seeking his kingdom is going to play out for me more than anything. Uh, so when I have a kingdom, when I'm thinking of the kingdom, when I think of the heaven, the realm, then that's what I'm thinking about, and and, and that becomes not inward focus, but that becomes what outward, outward focused. Focus. It's you know I've got heaven on my mind and my mind on heaven. Right. Uh, and then the last scripture that I can think of, uh, what I was thinking, and I, my mind went exactly when you talk about home, being home. I I, I went to Hebrews uh, 11. Uh, and this is kind of lengthy, but I'll just read a little bit of it. Um, Uh, by faith, I'm going to let eleven eight. I'm sorry. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in a land of promise, 
in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, ears with him of the same promise. For who is looking forward to the city that has foundation that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God? By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered himself him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as a good as dead were born descendants, many as many as the stars, heaven, as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. But this is what I'm going to get to. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunities to return. But as it is the desire of a better country, that is a heavenly one, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Right? Yeah. And so and so that's what I'm thinking. So it changes my whole viewpoint, right? It cha- it makes me step out of faith and where I would not step out of faith. Uh, when I'm thinking about heaven as my home city, as something that's a far off, and I know I may not see it all the time, but when I have it in view, when I have it, they said it, say it, they never see it, but he said they had it in view, right? Right. That this is not their home. They were just exiles here. They were just traveling through. It changes your whole perspective, and I believe that's what happens to all these persecuted people, right? Because they're not thinking that this is their home anymore. They think, hey, man, they've got to hold that man. They have a better home yeah. waiting for them. I am a citizen and, and, first and, and, and foremost and of heaven. At any time. And what did Paul say? For me to die as gain and to live as Christ. Right. And that's what he was saying. He's saying, man, no, to live as Christ, but to die as gain. He's saying, so I would gain so much more if I just went to heaven, right? That's what that's what his mind was saying, okay? So he was thinking about this way. So I think it changes your whole perspective when we begin to think about these things and make heaven uh, our, our home. Like, like, like when, 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 I don't think we think about that. Like you said, I don't think we think about that heaven is my home, right? Yes. I am just down here trying to get people to come home with me, right? Have you ever just went and tried to get someone to come home with you? You're like, hey, can you come home with me? Come on, just come to my house. Man, There's man, you can be fed here. You can be done this. You, you can have a place to rest. You can have all this stuff here in my home, right? And so now I want to take all these people to this big wedding feast. I want to take them to all this thing. And so my focus is no longer what? Inward, but it begins to become outward. Outward. Focus, and so that's what I think about when I think about home. Uh, that I'm just here passing through, but I don't think we have that mindset so many times, right? Uh, I don't. I don't sometimes, right? Well, I, I, we, I mean, we, okay. we start living for here, right? We start. We, we start. see that. We see that the the crowns are okay. Now the first one, the crown of victory, is self discipline. Am I being self discipline? Am I restraining from sin because it's the thing that we do, or is it? Because I'm trying to be pleasing to God. I understand God's will. I understand. It should be a heart condition. Right. We see these Jews, right. you know, washing the hands and cutting the goats and all these things. That God, Jesus is like, you don't even understand the law. You do these things out of ritual versus... So we need to check ourselves. Am I, am I being self-disciplined? And am I not swearing and doing these things? We can gamble, though, Steve. Um mm-hmm. But am I doing the or not doing these things because I want to be honoring to God and His wishes and understanding His wisdom and the lack of mine, or am I doing it because these are the, just no, the things that we do? Doing it, I do it, and I know the rest of you do it because He says I'm holy, thus you need to be holy. That's why we do it because we don't want to grieve Him. We don't want to separate ourselves 
put a separation between us and him because we can't look upon sin and every time we sin it is another just a way you build a, a wall you know and then so he calls us to be holy right. that's why we do it and it's not a self-discipline it's it is discipline but it's the point is that we do it for the reason that he's called us he said he called us righteous he said you are to be holy because i'm holy that's that's why we do it and we want to please our father too and right. i mean I sing a song when we when I was young at, as a high schooler. Uh, it was called "When I Think of Home and I'm Tired of Being Homeless, I Come to You because You're Where My Heart Is." Mm, and it, it was all talking about my heart is with Jesus, and so my heart wants to be home. That's what that's what Paul was saying. Man, uh, my heart is with Jesus, but it will stay down here if I need to be. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's where. Uh, our heart is, and that's why he's saying people lay the treasure down here on earth. Yeah. He said, wherever your heart is, there's your treasure yeah. also. So he's saying, if your heart's really with me, it's with my home, and it's with where I want you to be, and it's where I am, then you'll obey and live out these principles uh, inside of this. Right, I mean, and that same logic mind. applies to the rest of the, of the crown. Did you have something to say, Jasmine? I'm sorry. No, I was going to change the subject, but you guys... I wanted to say something oh. about what he was talking about in Hebrews 8. Because just this two lines here, the, the commentary, it, was, it goes along with what Josh is saying. It says, the writer of Hebrews expressed faith in two different in two directions. Faith towards future things, what we hope for, and faith towards invisible things, what we do not see. When we are certain God is in control of these areas, and we live like he is in control, that's faith. Changes yeah. it. That's what you were saying. I just. Mm. That's good. So, so that's how it should act out and play out in my life. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And I think that applies for, for all of them. Am I evangelizing because I'm told to do it? Or am I evangelizing because I care for others? Am I seeking God's return because I want to get the heck out of here and I'm this sucks and the blah, 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 or do I want to see his glorious return? Am I um, shepherding God's people? Am I taking care of his people because I love them and uh, because first God has loved me or am I doing it because it's my job? Am I enduring this temptation, pain, and everything else because I'm just too stubborn to say no? Or am I doing it because I love Jesus? Am I enduring these temptations and these pains and the suffering and all these things? Because first and foremost, I love Jesus. So this is not a call to you. This is a call to the beloved, to the church, to heart check, to look at the motives behind the reasons you're doing what you're doing. Is it because this is how we do it, or am I doing it to glorify God? You know what the other, the reverse, the flip side of it is too, is God knows your motive. Right. You can't fool him. Meaning... If you can, we can self-check, which is good. We should do a self-analysis, self-reflection of why do I do what I do, and really be authentic and true with yourself. But God's sitting there going, okay, you can cover up how you want to the world or to each other in this room. But I know your motive. I know your heart. And you can't fool me. So, and he's the ultimate one. You know, I'm just saying, it's good that we do what you say. Evaluate, why do I do what I do? But ultimately, God knows truly. And Tyler, just to go back to what you said, because I find it very interesting, because we're living in a day and age where everyone's like, they want to get out of here, not for, for their own comfort level, not because they want to see Jesus, it's because they don't want to suffer. So you're here, yeah. man, I just can't wait till Jesus comes back. Man, I hope he splits the sky today, because I want to get out of this mess. No, that's what, instead, instead of being rejoicing in this mess and trying to do as much as they can inside the mess, 
They're just waiting. They're, 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 they're just saying, I just want to get out of here as soon as possible. Right, as a way out. They're seeking it as a way out instead of seeking it as an opportunity to share Jesus Christ. And to, to and so, to your point, there's a lot of people with that. I see, I mean, I follow so many people on Facebook, and that's their point. I just can't wait till we, I just wish you would come back already. You know what I mean? But it's, but it's, but it's all selfish motivated. I'm being serious. You can tell, you can tell in their post that it's all about them, about so 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 beloved you know beloved what where is your heart what are you checking like yeah jasmine change the subject for us so you said something really or like way early in your message that bothered me i can't i'm not going to go home until i get a straight you said uh, you're talking about war and how like all these people were like um kelly like they would wipe out an entire genocide that's what you said like like a would, cleansing yeah a cleansing of people but um now I, I brought up that christian like they did that in the old testament david did that like it's in the like, book of revelation like, too yeah it like we do that too so and then you're like well god told us to how are they supposed to know that who are supposed to know what how are they supposed to know like God told us to kill all their children. <laughs> and that I I'm just that's my point. That like they pro they probably would say the same argument. Well God told us to clean, like to wipe out all of the Christians. We have the same argument as God told us to wipe out all the Christians. They we just both see you killing us all. Like so I don't think that's a value I just but don't you think ask, that's you have to remember he gave this land, remember, he said, you will take the promised land, the new yeah. land that I'm going to give you, and take possession of it. And it needs to be holy, and it needs to be so who's purified. To say that purified was... is the word. It okay. needs to be purified. So it was for a purpose. Now, I know it's hard. And People I... have a hard time understanding that, because I hear that all the time, that, mm -hmm. oh, there's killing, and there's... But and, I get but there was that. A, there's a and real I, spiritual But you don't reason. understand, because I get that. Like, oh, I, I understand, I, I understand argument, but they could come back at us with the same argument, and what do we say? Like, what is the, what do we say? Because they could say, well, God was just, well, Allah was just trying to purify our wives and purify the whole entire land. And they could say the exact same thing. And we don't, like, what do we say after that? Like, they don't worship God. For 40 years. For 40 years, they were following a God who led them by pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during night. Them is the Jews. For me. Are, are you asking like how do we stand forward and say well this is what's said this was what was told where this is where the proof is is that what you're asking my i just in my eyes i don't I just don't know how to validate it if they could say this. Well, at the beginning, I was not trying to validate or excuse or anything. I was saying these are the types of religious persecution. That was all I was stating. Okay, you were like, and I, I think... None of these I are exclusive to Christians. I honestly think it's bad, but I also don't feel like I can say, like, oh, that's so evil and that's so bad that they're wiping out all these Christians if we turn around and do the exact same thing. Excuse me, the Jews who followed God out of Egypt and did all that stuff were not Christians, they didn't know about Christ. They were under the old covenant. 
we are under the new covenant. No Christians have been commanded that I've ever heard to wipe out people. People, then we're not. We're under the law. Because under the new covenant, we are told to love our enemy. Okay, love your enemy. After Jesus' death, then, you know, he taught us to love everybody. No more killing. Yeah, but that can be confusing because it's not like God went to uh, to counseling and became a loving God. Right? <laughs> no, I said it was a I'm just saying, to, no, to, to, no, that, can be, yeah. that can be very confusing when you say, well, it's different now because we're on a new covenant. It's not. It's like it's almost like we're saying that like he went to therapy and now he can, now he just chose love over that over over destroying the whole uh, thing. But we, but it was in his love. Here's how I always explain it. Yeah. It was in his love that he told them to do what he told yes, them to do yes. because he knew that he knew into the future that would, would pull them away from him. Yes, exactly. Right. Because um, the it was in love. These were uh, evil nations. Right. They were right. Out. And yeah. he didn't want his people to get to go to follow the, their idols. Oh, and, yeah. But I'm still well, saying Muslims can be evil. So, Jasmine, are, are you. So, can I re try to repeat or. Is this how you're? What are you saying? Are you saying I can't tell a Muslim that religious genocide is bad because it makes me a hypocrite because believers have done that before? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> All, the best the best I could say is I don't care what they have to say. They worship a wrong god. That that is the best I got besides. Yahweh is a living and honest God, and I don't care if that is their opinion that Allah is real. He's not. That that's the best I can do. I don't know if that's good enough. I don't know if that's bad enough. Too bad. Well, I mean, he was a Baal. So you mean basically Christianity and Islam are basically the same thing? Well, that's what people think. I know. Yeah, the difference between Allah and Baal are just. The Muslims do believe that Allah is the same. They believe Allah is Yahweh. They do, but they are mistaken. And even the Jews who still believe in Yahweh, Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, the Father. No man can, or I am the way, the truth, the life. No man come to the Father except through me." So even if they are praying to Yahweh, which they are not, that's still not the key to salvation. The key to salvation is through Jesus and His death on the cross. Thank you for listening to this message. Our hope is that we inspire others to lift their voices in prayer for those persecuted Christians all over the world. Thank you, and God bless.